0: Hey, this is Carl. One of our sponsors today, Datadog, is a cloud monitoring platform bringing full visibility to dynamic infrastructure, applications, and now logging. Create beautiful dashboards, set powerful machine learning-based alerts, and collaborate with your team to resolve performance issues. Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 200 technologies, including Azure, Docker, PagerDuty, and Slack. With fast installation and setup, plus APIs and open-source libraries for custom instrumentation, Datadog makes it easy for teams to monitor every layer of their stack in one place. But don't take our word for it. Start a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're in our respective studios today and looking forward to going to Dev Intersection very soon.
1: Mm-hmm. Coming up the end of March, a great lineup of speakers and uh, all of the Scots, the Hunter and the Hanselman and the Guthrie.
0: Yeah. Scott Fest, The Scotteramas. <laughs> And uh, I, I may have added some uh, bumpers by now, so I apologize if this is redundant, but uh, we're recording this on February 27th, mm-hmm. and the Kickstarter for Keto Fest 2018 just went live today. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. A uh, whole lot more stuff going on this year, and I know some of you... .NET Rocks listeners have done the ketogenic diet, lost weight some of you have even reversed type 2 diabetes I know Paul Thorat has had great success on it, Lino's doing it uh, so if you want to come hang out with uh, the doctors and the scientists and the, and the pig roast and the bands and the fun and the food and music, go to ketofest.com, check it out. Awesome But that is not my Better Know framework Oh. Roll the music <laughs> All right, dude. What do you got? Someone stole Steve Wozniak's Bitcoins. (laughs) Jeez. The Uh, Woz. Don't you hate it
1: when multi-millionaires get ripped off?
0: I know. This is a true story that came out yesterday, February 26th. So again, I apologize if this is old news. But let me just read some of this. Back in October, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak revealed that he was a huge fan of Bitcoin, which he bought back when it was $700, telling Bitcoin Magazine that it was better than both gold and the dollar. Which is quote unquote kind of phony, while Bitcoin is quote unquote genuine and real. The burly multimillionaire also said he likes Bitcoin because quote unquote it's based on mathematics. Uh, he said, Bitcoins to me was a currency that was not manipulated by the governments. It's mathematical, is pure, and can't be altered. Also, uh, he said, explaining why governments hate it so much. A few months later, just after Bitcoin hit its all time highs, so far anyway. Wozniak discovered just how volatile Bitcoin was and pulled the cord, bagging a price near the all-time high. He said, I had Bitcoin to experiment with it when it shot up high. I said, I don't want to become one of those people that watches it, watches it, cares about the number. I don't want that kind of care in my life. So he said that to an audience at Nordic Business Forum in Sweden on January 24th. Part of my happiness is not to have worries. So I sold it all, just got rid of it, except just enough to still experiment with. To be sure, not a bad experiment. Bought at $700, sold well over 10 times higher. The rich get richer and all that. Or maybe not. As the Waz revealed to India's economic times, in addition to being volatile, it's also prone to the occasional theft. He says, I had seven bitcoins stolen from me through fraud. Somebody bought them from me online through a credit card and they canceled the credit card payment. It was that easy. Huh. It was only that easy, Steve, because you agreed to send your Bitcoins over the counter to an unknown person using unknown credit card with zero protections, but we digress. And then he goes on, and it was from a stolen credit card number, so you can never get it back. Still, despite the theft, Waz, who's worth about $100 million, has no hard feelings, asked about his experience in investing in Bitcoin when they were going at 700 apiece and selling them for a fortune. He said he, quote unquote, did not invest in Bitcoins, but bought them as an experiment. Anyway.
1: Yeah, really, that story has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's just a credit card,
0: you know, you did a dumb transaction over the internet. Exactly. <laughs> I had a year like that once. Right. Actually, I I got taken for uh, some equipment on Craigslist once because I was too trusting. Once. I never once. do that again. Yeah.
1: they say, you yeah. know, fool you once, shame on them, right?
0: Anyway, I thought that was a really funny story. And, uh, you know, good luck, was. Yeah, somehow he'll get by, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean if you sold
1: it seven bitcoins, they were nearly twenty thousand right? yeah, dollars, right? So, you know, hundred and forty grand, that's a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Probably started with a hundred bitcoins or yeah, more. Who knows?
1: Well, if you were mining them, you know, back in two thousand nine, mm. one mining event, like one completion of the of a of an entry was fifty coins. Yeah. So, you know, folks that did that early mining just for an experiment, like 50 coins at 20000 bucks a coin. Dude, it's a million bucks. Yeah, right. Crazy. Anyway, who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off the of show 1478, which we did back in September of 2017 with Dan Rossanova talking about the Azure Event Grid. And I'm sure we're going to chat a little bit about tech like this today. Sure. This comment comes from Isaac Holmes, who said, I just got done listening to the show. And as always, I loved it. You mentioned using more than one cloud provider with Event Grid. And I just want to say that I'm doing it right now. And it's working great. Well, okay. So AWS and Azure, that's cool, right? Most of the events are being posted by my UI update Firebase for real-time UI updates that play nice with Angular 2, to persist to a graph database for determining social connectedness, and to post to app insights for instrumentation and logging. I've only been using Event Grid for a little while, but I absolutely love it so far, which is cool. Very cool. It's really neat that we do a show talking to Dan. I think it was literally going to ship between the time we recorded the show and when they published. They were going to go GA on it. Yeah. And uh, here's Isaac just a few months ago. Jumped straight in. Did some, uh, some tinkering around and made something work. Awesome. So, Isaac, thank you so much for your comment. Here's a place to drink a little coffee while you play with your event grid. So, we're going to send a .NET, <laughs> .net Rocks mug to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .net or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll
0: send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We do not mind them for Bitcoin. <laughs> Sanitized for your protection. All right. Let's uh, bring Christos back on the show. Christos Matskas is a software developer, blogger, speaker, and all-around geek. He currently works at Microsoft as an Azure engineer, PFE, empowering developers and teams to do amazing things with technology. Before joining Microsoft, he's a successful entrepreneur, and has successfully collaborated with companies such as Mark IT, Lockheed Martin, and Barclays. He's been building software for over 13 years, and he's passionate about open source and is an advocate for OS. He contributes regularly to numerous OSS projects and works closely with the community to make sure the software development space gets bigger and bigger. Welcome, Christos, or shall I say welcome back?
2: Hey, guys. Nice to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, I, I,
1: I'm sure I said this the last time we were on, which was a year or so ago. The PFEs, the premier field engineers, are like my bread and butter over on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're the guys out in the field working with the biggest customers, solving the hardest problems. Front line. Yep. Yeah. Except for Christos, of course. <laughs> obviously.
2: I uh, mean, the sidelines, just, uh, you know, give, giving instructions about what needs to be done. That's lunch warming. Like-
1: well, it's always a challenge, you know, and they can never mention their customers by name. So it's like, I was working with this customer that had 250,000 users in an Azure, uh, or in a, uh, an Active Directory, uh, structure with one OU. And, you know, <laughs> we go on and on with that, you know, don't let this happen to you kind of thing. But, uh, it's, uh, it's always a good story. So it's neat to have, you know, someone out in the, from the field working on some challenging problems. I'm, I'm sure you got some great stories, Christos.
2: Lots of challenges. Every single day, it's a new challenge. So it's always fun.
1: Well, they wouldn't call you if everything was going well, right? Yeah.
2: Well, you'll be surprised. Our role is not just uh, solving problems. We're trusted advisors. So our team is um, usually trying to get proactively to customers to train them up and ramp them up on upcoming technologies and uh, things like .NET Core, Serverless, and Azure. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes we're called in when things have gone and their own way and uh, it's always fun to try to solve problems while we're try to educate our customers on how to do things the right way not the Microsoft way it's not always the Microsoft way the right way but mm. uh, in most cases we try to uh, talk about best practices and recommended practices from the industry so
0: yeah and and that brings us to our topic here Azure success stories I I got to start with mine although it's you know every story that I have on Azure is a success story I haven't had one a really negative experience, um, but of of course the stuff that we do is you know small potatoes compared to some of the stories that you're going to be telling.
2: Yeah, we, we do have lots of stories, and, um, and there are some good success stories, and uh, we have also some failures or catastrophic stories where um, we had customers reaching out to us when things have gone bad. And in fact, today I just got an email from a customer that are trying to do read writes on their blob storage to upload files and then read them. Apparently, they're not getting the throughput that they were expecting. So testing between VMs and PaaS does not give them the consistent experience. So uh, that's a challenging uh, problem now because we need to dig in and see whether the problem is in the code or the infrastructure. And if if there is a problem with infrastructure, how do we get involved, uh, the product group team, to come and help us out?
0: Right. I imagine a lot of great stories start with a challenge like that. Yes, you know when uh, when somebody has a, a problem. I mean, that's when you get called, and uh, and how they work themselves out sometimes is the is the real story.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, the biggest challenge that we have uh, with our customers is probably the lack of visibility around all the services that they can use when they decide to move to Azure. Right. And um, some of the big problems start from lifting and shifting from your existing colo or uh, some um, servers you had under your desk and you decide to move to Azure. And um, if, if performance is not a problem, then cost becomes a problem because they expect to get the same kind of throughput, the same kind of performance. Um, and usually they either get it wrong in terms of setting it up or they will set it up and it tends to run very expensive. What we right. try to educate is how people can become very elastic with the cloud and how to save costs by scaling up and scaling down or yeah. scaling out. And eventually, my goal uh, is to move everyone to PaaS or SaaS. Mm-hmm. If we can get everyone to run on platform as a service, managed services, or even SaaS, right? I mean, if we can solve the problem by somebody else's software, we take all the risk away, and the business can run on uh, focusing, solving uh, real problems, and adding value to their customers rather than writing software. So the higher up the stack that we move, the better it becomes.
0: We did a great show with... Uh... Uh, who was it? Was it Clemens? Uh, who sort of laid out all the different ways that you can uh, do messaging. Yeah, it was definitely Clemens talked about messaging. Yeah. And he, it was great because we just went through all the different scenarios that you, you know, and all the different technologies that Microsoft has in Azure and, you know, when each is appropriate. And just those kinds of conversations are absolutely critical. I mean, it blew our minds and it was the most cohesive discussion we had about uh, when to use what when. Yeah,
2: and again, we have over 100 services there. So when to use what and which components to use in your application uh, becomes uh, key in these conversations that we have with customers. As an example, I was uh, meeting with a friend the other day. We hadn't met for about five years, so we lost touch. But um, we got together and uh, we started talking about what he was doing, what he was working. So he recently started working for a startup. And uh, when I asked what they were writing, what they were doing, he said, Oh, we're, we're creating this amazing service that can do this and that. And as he was talking about the different services, he, he in effect explained Azure batch to me, the, the Ah. batch service that we have on Azure. And, um, I I was ticking the boxes as he was talking mentally just to see how far they went out. So it turns out that after six months of uh, 12 developers working on the project, um, they actually recreated Azure Batch. So when I asked him why did he not use the service, uh, his jaw dropped because not only were they planning on running on Azure, they had no idea that that service was out there. Wow. Um, and again, they spent a lot of effort, a lot of money for something that they could use out of the box uh, with a lot more engineering um, behind it and a lot more support. And it turns out that um, some of these problems is visibility, knowing what to use, when to use it. So, how do you guys handle that problem? Do you
0: is there a, a, a one place that you send people to to start? Uh, you know, and
2: what's the ramp up time on on getting that knowledge? So, I uh, my team in the UK has about twenty seven people. They're all very, very adept on the Azure technologies. Obviously, everyone specializes in specific areas, but as a pool of experts, we have really good degrees. Um, so, what we do is we have regular meetings with our customers, and our ADMs, our application developer managers work very closely with those customers to identify needs, and then we have lots of conversations around things like, oh, you know, we have a greenfield project, we're going to do this, and then this is where we bring the customers in, or we get in the room all together, and we try to flesh out the requirements for the project, and before they commit in writing any code, we try to identify which components will be appropriate for them. And whether they can run on Azure or not, because sometimes, you know, we have customers, big banks at the moment are still reluctant on jumping on the cloud, but we can bring the cloud to them, right? So I had a customer the other day. We went to do .NET Core training for them. Apparently they're moving the whole real estate of .NET into .NET Core. So we're talking over 2000 applications that they're planning on rewriting and migrating. And not only that, they're planning on running on .NET Core. Uh, on shift, so they want to do containers on-prem, yeah. so when they're ready to move to the cloud, they can just lift and shift that infrastructure. And uh, we're talking about the different aspects of Azure, and obviously they identified that uh, Azure would be great for them, but they were not mature enough to jump onto the cloud yet. And we're talking about event-driven development and Azure Functions and how cool they are, and they were like, oh yeah, we wish we could use that. And I said, well, you know what? In fact, you can use them. You can either use Azure Functions in Containers Or you can use Azure Functions Runtime, which allows you to deploy that on-prem and run event-driven solutions. And we're ecstatic about the fact that the Azure team has done a lot of effort into bringing some of the services to on-prem customers when they're not ready yet to migrate.
1: Now, I'm going to throw my IT hat on here because the the, I think they're generally the folks that are resisting moving this stuff around or have the largest concerns. As soon as you sort of open up this idea, I'm going to run a VM somewhere else, right away, my concern hits on Active Directory and, you know, the whole identity boundary.
2: Well, when you decide to move the cloud, obviously, you need to understand that it's not going to be just VMs. It's going to be probably a part of your infrastructure. And again, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's That's the other important bit there. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can use Azure for backups, right? The Azure Backup Service or the Azure Site Recovery its an excellent uh, choice for lots of customers that actually want to still run on their on-prem environment, but they can use Azure Site Recovery to do uh, uh, patches on their infrastructure. They can switch onto Azure for uh, the weekend, uh, carry on their operations while they're patching their on-prem environment, and then fall back again. So that gives them some kind of uh, leeway when it comes to patching the servers or managing disaster recovery. The other option would be to use something like Key Vault, which is a fantastic service. Um, it's not easy to set up and manage on-prem. No, uh, Not many companies own HSMs, which uh, will protect their keys. And the way that um, Key Vault now is integrating with a lot of things like .NET Core running on-prem or .NET Core running on the cloud or any other uh, SDK that we have for other applications. Again, that's something that we try to promote. So maybe it's not all or nothing. Maybe you don't want to move to Active Directory yet. Uh, But once you're ready, then you can take advantage of all the services. Uh, So it's a piecemeal approach into moving to cloud, setting up hybrid environments. Maybe you want to extend your SQL to the cloud, but nothing else, and so on and so on.
0: I like this idea of dynamically switching back and forth between cloud and on-prem. And just the way you made it sound, you made it sound so easy. But I imagine there's a bit of setup that goes into doing that.
2: There is a little bit of a setup. Uh, You need to have um, a couple of um, servers that manage the replication of your on-prem environment. And there are specifications around how many servers you need to set up uh, to do that. However, once you set it up, you can um, actually go through a lot of scenarios. So you can have disaster recovery, which will allow you to have business continuity as you run your business. Or you can do uh, patching, as I said earlier on. So it doesn't have to be a disastrous event that uh, forces you to move the cloud. And you can also run a uh, tile. You can do uh, what-if scenarios I have to switch something. And there's a lot of workloads that we support there. So we have SharePoint, we have SQL, have proper VMs. So for customers that are still tied onto their existing infrastructure, that's an excellent solution. And again, they don't have to run it. They might not have to switch it ever again. But that reminds me of another story where one of our customers were was adamant. They said, we'd never want to move to the cloud. It's never going to happen. And... Uh, Uh, In the UK, we have the Guy Fawkes Night, which is on November 4th, and uh, fireworks go all over the place. It's it's the equivalent of your uh, 4th of July, and it was a big event, and they had a data center somewhere in Scotland, and they knew there would be fireworks nearby, so they went and um, insulated the the roof. Uh, They put uh, fire-retardant material on the roof to make sure that uh, the the whole data center doesn't catch on fire. Uh, What (laughs) happened, though, is that they forgot the lining on the roof. So over the winter, uh, lots of water, lots of snow, uh, one lovely January morning, the whole roof collapses onto the data center, and their whole um, operation just went up on the cloud. So they were done. Um, We spent two weeks trying to get them uh, off the ground with basic services like Exchange and Active Directory. And then when they realized that they could have had something like Azure Site Recovery, for example, to help them migrate. They bought into the idea of the cloud, which was not cloud now, but, you know, disaster recovery and maybe in the future. Wow.
0: Yes. The guy Fox was like a, a, a rebel, wasn't he? He was a terrorist. Anarchist. <laughs> Anarchist.
1: <laughs> yes. The, only the Brits would celebrate a guy who tried to blow up parliament right. and failed, right? It's <laughs> like... Hey, I mean, it's a crime what you're trying to do, and they did kill him for it, and, yeah. and and he screwed it up. Yeah, he botched it. <laughs> we learned about that on Mondays from Mark Miller. <laughs> so, they have a party. There's an answer.
0: But, yep. a, you know, it's it's kind of ironic that, the, that it was Guy Fawkes Day that the thing went up in flames.
2: Well, it wasn't Guy Fawkes, really. It was the... That was the the beginning of the the whole thing because they forgot the lining up there, right. And then after a couple of months, it collapsed. But there was another incident with another customer of ours where um, what happened is the the fi- the air condition uh, failed on the data center. The heat went up really, really high, and then the fire alarm went off creating a sonic boom and uh, wiping out all the disks on their what? infrastructure. What? The
0: fire alarm created a sonic boom. So they had a fire alarm in a data center
2: that, did they know that if it went off, it would destroy everything? They had no idea. So there was no damage on the interior of the data center. Uh, We were called in as an emergency, not me personally, but the person that was managing the account. And it was very weird because they walked in expecting everything to be up in flames. Obviously, they were hit by that um, heat wave as they opened the doors. But everything was spinning. All the lights were up and, uh, and the servers were on and everything was working. However, there was no data whatsoever again they were not prepared for that kind of a migration so uh, another a few weeks to get them up and running surprisingly enough they did not renew our account later on because (laughs) uh, of internal politics but it had nothing to do with our uh, supporting us
0: take your backups offline hey uh, christos hold that thought for just a minute Uh, we're going to take a pause for this very important message We've all come to expect that distributed databases can't be both globally consistent and scalable. But what if you didn't have to make trade-offs? What if you could have a fully managed database service that's consistent, scales horizontally across data centers, and speaks SQL? Introducing Cloud Spanner, a mission-critical relational database service from Google Cloud Platform, built from the ground up and battle-tested at Google for strong consistency and high availability at a global scale. Learn more about Cloud Spanner online at g.co slash get spanner. That's g.co slash get spanner. And we're back. It's Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell with the .NET Rocks. We're talking to Christos Motskas, some Azure war stories, maybe we'll call it instead of success stories. (laughs) That's a serious war story you just (laughs) laid on us there.
2: I've got some success stories as well, right? So it's not all gloom and um, doom. Um,
1: and you don't only go to the cloud because your own data center blew up.
2: <laughs> no, please do not call us for that. Yeah. In fact, I, I never want to receive a call like this. <laughs> However, the, there there are lots of customers that are doing amazing job, and amazing work with their technologies and our technology as well. Mm. Uh, recently, I, I worked with a major finance institution in London where we... Um, approach the data consumption or data uh, ingestion of external third-party services through serverless. So rather than going through the traditional data warehousing and setting up all that infrastructure and spending months and months on doing that, we were able to deliver the project uh, in three months, uh, way below the budget and uh, uh, with uh, amazing agility because serverless allows you to be extremely um focused on what you want to deliver and how quickly you want to deliver that. So that was a, a really big success story and it shows, it just goes to show how, um, you know, comparing what we would do 10 years ago or even five years ago, today we can be a lot more aggressive and have minimal viable products much quicker to market.
0: Yeah, so serverless is is always a good place to uh and especially right now that a lot of people are doing it, you know, and a lot of people are just getting used to it. There must be uh more stories in that chest.
2: There are indeed. Um in the in the UK now we changed the the law for every bank uh, when somebody closes their account, they need to provide five years worth of statements. It uh, it was a bit of a painful story and in some cases banks will take advantage of the the whole closure of accounts to charge customers for that. So the, go- the government stepped in and said, right, that's not going to happen anymore. By law, now you're obliged to do that. Uh, you need to provide five years worth of statements every time somebody closes an account. Now, these closures are not always, I'm leaving your bank. Sometimes it might be, I want to upgrade my account. I want to have a joint account rather than the usual one. And the bank internally has to close those accounts and move people around. So uh, one of on, one of those banks approached my team and said we would like to uh, to approach you guys and see how you would solve the same problem um, in comparison to what we're thinking of doing and maybe if your uh, if your solution is more appealing we can go without one and I was tasked to run the project with a couple of other PFEs and we decided to do it through serverless so the idea was that the customer would have the data for um, a specific account. Uh, as FTP files, so 60 files per account. That would be five years worth of statements. Right. Sitting on an FTP server. And then um, they would initiate uh, the whole transaction by saying, this account has been closed now. I want to move all the data to the Azure and then make uh, make it available to the, the customer by sending them an email saying, this is the link to go and download your stuff. How can you solve the problem for us? And we said, right, we can do it with serverless. In fact, we can use so little code to solve the problem that... Um, And we were even surprised ourselves that uh, it would work out in the end. So the idea was to use uh, Logic Apps to pull the data from the FTP server. Nice. And use blob storage to store the PDFs. Then use table storage, uh, which is extremely cheap to store the customer records, which correspond to the PDFs and the customer account. Use Azure AD B2C to allow these uh, customers to log into their specific account and pull the data out. And we set up a very uh, simple single-page application that was driven by uh, Azure Functions to drive the front end for the customers to log in and then go and search uh, their documents using Azure Search. These were all components that we pulled out from Azure. Mm-hmm. And within, um, it took us six days. Uh, so it was three days, one week, three days, another week, all through VSTS, so proper C I C D. And the customer walked in and uh, they said, right, um, uh, let's go through the demo. We discussed about the technologies and they we're quite happy with that. So we're on the demo where I initiate the HTTP request and um, logic apps go and pick up the files. They put it into blob storage, uh, 60, uh, Azure functions fan out to go and fetch the data concurrently. So we don't have to wait for that sequential uh, event. And then within a minute, we have all the files there and we log into the site with a demo account and boom, we we'll do a search for, you know, when was my last car payment? And they were, they were taken aback by not, not only how simple it was, but uh, how little it took to put together. And the the, the punchline obviously comes when they ask about the cost. And they go right. like, okay, so how much is this going to cost? Our projected uh, account closure is about $18 million per year. That's moving and transferring and so on and so right. on. And, and I go, well, well, it's about 800 pounds, <laughs> which is probably what? $1,000. And they go, is that 800 pounds per customer? Yeah. I go, no, no, that's 800 pounds for the solution. And, yeah. you know. Smiles in their faces, they walk out, they bought the whole uh, idea. It just goes to show that it doesn't really take too much to put really elaborate solutions today. Right. When in in the past, five years ago, that would be a lot of uh, effort.
0: Yeah. And money. Right. And
2: money. I think one
1: of the challenges folks have with serverless in general is just like managing the code. Like, what does the repository look like? What does the deployment mechanism look like? Like, some of that stuff is just different. If you're used to packaging up an app and then deploying the app separately, deploying serverless code just looks different.
2: Well, yes and no. Uh, If you're driving everything through VSTS or through GitHub or through Bitbucket, we do have very tight integration for these uh, services now. And we have proper support for Azure Functions. And remember, Azure Functions run on top of the app service um, that we already have. So technically, we are just hijacking that same mechanism. And now we added even support for Deploy from Zip, which is the new functionality through Kudu. So there's lots of different ways to cut the same, uh, to skin the same cut. And uh, as long as you're doing it right, as long as you have some CI/CD, the choice is down to you which tools you want to use. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what
0: time it is now. I uh, must be that happy time again. Yes. It's time to experiment with a new format here in the mid-show break. Mm-hmm. Humorless architecture. Ah, like serverless, only different. Yeah, but not just humorless, distributed humorless architecture. Massively distributed humorless (laughs) architecture. Turns out it's much cheaper at scale. (laughs) Well, you do know how to scale, don't you? (laughs) I can spread it better than anyone, man. (laughs) It's actually time to give away a experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best, without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out for free on GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Samir Iraji. Oh, ah, congratulations, Samir. Call yes. clap for you, sir. And a round of applause. A little clap With the clap And Samir just won the D Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join up. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And of course, we like to ask our guests, Christos, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today,
2: what do you think you'd buy? Oh, man. I don't know. You know what? I've got I've got so many things. Like, let's say, I uh, would we'll definitely get some, uh, a new Mac and a new Surface because I'm still stuck with my Surface Book One. I'll get the Surface Book Two because I hear it's pretty good. Yeah.
1: Have my hands on the 15 inch the other day. It's shiny. Oh. Big. Oh, shiny. man.
2: That one and uh, probably get my daughter a new laptop because she started programming. I'm really proud of her. Oh, nice. And yes. And she's uh, nailing the code.org, um, challenges. So, I, nice. I think she deserves to, to get a, a nice laptop. Obviously, not a MacBook. I mean, that would be an excessive one, but something that she can say that it's her her own.
1: They're due for a new Pro. It's been a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Presumably, there'll be one coming out this fall.
2: September? Usually yeah. Isn't
1: it? Something like that. I mean, not that I know what they could add to it at this point. It's pretty darn good.
2: Size-wise, it's brilliant. The the keyboards, I'm not so... No, no, I haven't really been that excited about the keyboard, but I'm expecting the 32 gig. Come on. It's mm. long overdue since 2012.
1: <laughs> More memory, please. I, can yes, you put please. 32 gig into a book too? I don't even know. No. I no. think it's
2: still 16. But the but question it, is, I how could we, be lying.
1: why do you need that much memory at this point? As soon as you switch over to containers, like the only reason I could excuse 32 gigs before was I was running v, multiple yeah. VMs in a machine.
2: Hmm. Uh, well, probably you're not know, using Slack then. <laughs>
0: <I'm just kidding. laughs> yeah, right. Or chrome, or chrome, for that matter. <laughs> or chrome, chrome is turning yeah. into quite the pig these days. It sure is. Oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm eating all the
1: things.
2: Well, they're trying to turn it into an operating system, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's. You're basically right. It's become its own operating system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't. I don't know that giving the more memory is actually a good idea. It just seems like encouraging the behavior.
2: Well, in that case, I'll wait for the quantum ones to come out. There you go. I'll buy that one. <laughs>
1: yes, you can use all the memory at once. You just don't have it set to any given value.
2: Yes, and also there will be no programs to run either because we're not ready for quantum, um, you know, quantum problems. I mean, we yes. have some algorithms there, but
1: I've been meaning to get one of those quantum guys on the show because they do have the toolkit now, and just to say well, yes. what things should we be building here. But uh, it is—it's very interesting. But uh, I'll give you credit for this, Christos. A fully loaded Surface Book two with all the gadgets. Uh, yeah, you've burned your five grand, dude. Like you could, you could spend a fair chunk of change on a, on a on a Surface Book two. There you go. And you'll probably want to set a set of VR gl- goggles for it too, because oh, it's VR
2: ready. Yes, that's what I want. Some VR as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering if V if VR has become the new like 3D TV. For a certain group of people, it's pretty exciting, but it just hasn't gone anywhere. I think we're all holding out for augmented reality.
2: Although, you know what? We're, we're on the verge of something big. And, uh, you know, if you add AI and you do AR and VR, we're not far off the next big thing, right? Maybe in the next five years, we'll see something groundbreaking. Maybe it's not in the format that we have today, like the Hololenses and the glasses that we had before, or the, the uh, Amazon Echo Dots and all these things. But I think we're headed to that point now in history where AI, VR, AR will be integrated all together with ubiquitous technology around us rather than cutting out these keyboards and the massive phones and screens.
1: Are you having customers ask you about the AI platform?
2: Like, Is that an interest? Oh man, cognitive services is just insane. Uh, we have a lot of customers. Uh, we have workshops that we deliver and we I integrate them with a lot of uh, different services because again, we have a specific uh, um, cognitive service that maybe fits uh, one specific needs, like you know, text recognition over mm. images, or mm. uh, description of images, or being able to identify and categorize uh, stuff. There's definitely demand for these, and um, we have lots of customers slowly getting in there. Now, remember, we cover a whole range of technologies from very legacy stuff, uh, script, Excel uh, add-ins, and Office add-ins, and WPF and WCF and web forms all the way to the latest and greatest like Node.js and Go and .NET Core. So uh, where these things fit, it's not always clear, but customers are interested in, in trying to modernize the platforms in ways that we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Like voice biometric uh, recognition on their apps. Yeah. In the past, you had to pay for a third-party API. Now you can write it yourself.
1: It's just a JSON call, right? Pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, we have customers now that uh, you know b- banks don't require you to go to the one of their stores. They don't require you to go into one of the branches to verify who you are because you can use your, you know, you can have a phone app that takes a picture of your uh, of your card, like your driver's license or your passport, and then you can take a selfie, and then we'll go and analyze that, and it will be very, very accurate in identifying wh- whether uh, you are who you say you are. So. Uh, that's another project like another bank is trying to um, get off the ground using Azure services. Very exciting. So
1: maybe actually getting away from passwords and into something more intimately biometric? Uh,
2: this was more for actually setting up accounts. But again, it do, they do try to solve the, the usual problems that have been uh, uh, the, we've been dealing with in the last 20, 15 years, especially with passwords and yeah. resetting accounts. I can't wait till we have
0: no passwords. Yeah. And just I, I want a, I want a hardware key and I just want a, every computer every device everything whether you know even if it's my fingerprint I don't care but it just has to be something secure and something that is uh,
2: always with me well we have face recognition like the new iPhone 10 yeah, I don't trust that either but that, yeah that's, a, that's the other problem right it's not too foolproof and people will find workarounds on that and hardware alone you might forget it at home you might leave it behind which right. again becomes a problem if you don't have a password to as a backup. These little
0: RSA keys that are synchronized on the on a server and uh change a number every a random number every uh minute are really awesome. And I just wish they were more integrated like instead of me having to type in a number, yeah. I wish I could just, you know, hold it, it up s- to the computer and have it open. sucks when you lose it. them. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> yeah.
1: I I was really excited to finally have a new use for my Richard Nixon mask, but <laughs> <laughs> just to say it but you know there's subtler things you know we talk about this occasionally on run as radio this idea that this sort of gradiated security is like as long as it's an a known machine from a known ip address with the same account like the friction's really really low and then as soon as you do anything anomalous of course i travel so much You know, when I log into my bank from a country where I've never logged into before, right away, Uh. it's asking me additional questions and things like it gives you a little more confidence and security. I think this very graduated mindset to I'm going to check extra because this is strange. Yep. Yep. uh, is, Is the way to go. And then when it's the same machine in the same place, the same way at the same time with the same behaviors, you can lower the bar.
2: Exactly. Yep.
1: I just wonder if we're going to get good enough with the software. Like, what? how much of that do we have to write? And how long before that's just a service?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, you know what? I think with the AI now and lots of services uh, doing that kind of analytics behind the scenes, I won't be surprised if there's a platform as a service that offers that kind of uh, functionality in the near future.
1: Right certainly the azure active directory that whole identity mindset and again with my it hat on what we're talking about now there is no the firewall is worthless because machines are in and out of the firewall like that doesn't really mean anything now identity mm-hmm. is the firewall so yep. just yep. i think pretty quickly as you go down the cloud path you figure out you pretty much have to use azure active directory and and get into that identity model rather than any of the old thinking around how you were sitting in a fortress that nobody could penetrate and the perimeter was your protection. Mm.
2: It's a different mindset, by the way. As soon as you move to the cloud, people feel a little bit uh, uneasy about losing their firewalls and knowing their boundaries. And you need to start thinking in new terms about NSGs and VNets and definitely uh, Azure AD. And I love how uh, hard we've been pushing about best practices. Even .NET Core came out with, you know, we don't do authentication uh, Inside the application more, we prefer delegate authentication, whether that's uh, identity server or whether that's Azure AD or AD B2C. And it's become so easy to integrate with your applications that it's, it's becoming a no-brainer, right? And why would you want to manage those accounts when somebody else can do it much better for you in the much better scale as well as your application grows? At the same time, uh, you focus on solving real problems rather than fiddling with uh, the setting up the infrastructure and the pipe uh yeah. the right. piping for your application.
1: You think about that progression around ASP.NET, you know, once upon a time you just rolled your own. Then we got membership services and you could still kind of roll your own into that, just don't do it or work against AD. And now it's just it's out of of ASP.NET altogether. You just reference an Active Directory, let it do it.
2: Yeah. Yep, exactly. And uh again, it's it's about uh, instilling best practices about how you manage your security. We also talk to our customers about security. There are three things that I always speak with my customers when I walk in, regardless of the issue that has brought me there. One is analytics and logging, because that's always a problem and a challenge, and most customers will not be doing it right, or even if they're logging stuff, they don't have an idea what their baseline is and so on. The second one is security, and the third one is DevOps. These are the big challenges that almost every customer has as a lowest common denominator, and some of the the big wins that we have there when we actually promote things. One of the most exciting stuff that we started doing as a service in the UK is offering war games to our customers, where we war bring games? in war games, war games, yeah, okay. blue red teams. So we bring their developer team in, we bring their admins and their de- the SQL guys in, and you know we split them out into two different teams. We run this uh, workshop over two days. So the first day, uh, half of the team becomes the red team and um, and the other team becomes the blue team. So mm. for people that have done any security, that means one of the team is the attackers and the other one is the defenders. We have an infrastructure that we spin up every single time. So we have ARM templates and um, infrastructure on Azure. We have a dummy app, and we try to get them to hack each other. And huh. one of the team tries to, to protect their infrastructure without really knowing too much, so they have to work it out. And that's not surprising because many developers may be new to a team when they join a company, and they have to be uh, faced with these kind of challenges. And the next day, we reverse their roles, and people that uh, think that they have the upper hand now because they know what to expect, what the attackers will think, are uh, totally surprised by the fact that we've changed the whole setup, the scenarios are very different, and now they have to defend something totally new to them again. Clever. And the whole point is for them to lose. Everyone is losing. Everyone comes out of this game as a loser. Mm. But the idea there is that we get them into a very realistic scenario that they don't really want to face, on their real day-to-day job, but they start thinking about security in multiple layers, whether that's code, whether that's uh, the CI, CD, and whether that's their um, infrastructure running on the cloud. And it's very surprising to see how many different customers approach those same problems in a very different way.
1: I got to think putting devs and operation guys together in that exercise has got to be good for the team too, because they all sort of learn things about each other in the process.
2: That's the goal. And once we've done it now, we had almost six or seven iterations of this one, and we get better as well as we do it. So we've automated our deployment, which is a one-click deploy for everything that we need to set up for the day. But we also um, understand how uh, better to help our customers. Now, we are there as observers. We don't really um, help them. We don't write the code for them. But they can ask us stuff. And it's very, very powerful to see how they react. Some of them panic. Some of them shout. Some of them go against each other. Some of them work really well together, so you can see how the cohesiveness in the team works out. But everyone learns from the experience, and the feedback that we're getting is amazing. So we are integrating that with a lot more customers now. That's
1: awesome. really interesting idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Just an approach to dealing with that. And uh, a great way to sort of uh, break down walls and get people thinking uh, more broadly.
0: Speaking of breaking down walls, I want to hear about some
2: more fires or explosions. <laughs> fires and explosions. I've got more stories, guys. I mean, we can be here all night, <laughs> so uh, or all day because it's it's morning for you there. Mm. Um, another story. I got called into an emergency. In fact, I was on uh, at the airport. My luggage was all checked into the, on the plane and I got a call saying you need to be in London tomorrow and I was like I'm in London today unfortunately I can I can't take my luggage off the, the plane mm. because I'm about to take off but uh, uh, they said right okay you need to be there tomorrow and um, you know full emergency you we need you down there and it turns out that we had a customer that uh, we helped migrate onto Azure and we gave them some incentives and some credits to help them migrate their infrastructure a very very big customer in the UK Unfortunately, they went from VMs to PaaS without really doing the proper um, research. They didn't really do the, uh, the investigation on what the impact would be. And it turns out that the way that they wrote their application was nowhere near designed to run on PaaS. Uh, so oh. they're rather having physical file systems and VMs and storing everything on those disks. What they did is they moved everything to PaaS so they had storage accounts and they had um, Web apps running their applications. They, they were fully scaled out on the premium tier. So they had 20 instances running their applications and they were still struggling. Wow. wow. Um, so we had to go in and uh, we have the cat team. I don't know if you guys heard about the customer um, uh, experience team. These are the, the guys like if we are ninjas, these are the super ninjas in the, in, in our team. Uh, I'm always at O when I'm around these guys because they know their stuff. Hmm. And uh, we brought them in uh, along with us because they they come in and they leave, they give you all the advisory that they have to give you and then we were there to um, guide them through the experience of fixing those issues. Some of the, the like the silly things that you would never think before was like they were running reports on their web app. right So they would kick off a report that would go and get data for 300 items or 300 um, components they had to run when the page would only display one. so they were only running report for one, when they initially wrote the application, uh, every time that they were hitting performance issues, they would scale up. They would bring bigger VMs. They will run on multiple VMs and that would solve the problem. But when it comes to running on PaaS, these challenges are really things that can hit you hard when you run. Um, even on the premium tier. So, um, they were running on the main thread. People would just run reports and go for LANs and then come back. And then everything, everything was, um, you know, crashing and burning. They had no analytics around their application. So they couldn't really understand where the problems were. So we integrated App Insights. That was one of the first steps. Mm -hmm. We also added a lot of caching to um, save them their own trips around blob storage and um, their um, Cosmos DB database. Now, they were misusing Cosmos DB. Rather than storing all their IoT data onto Cosmos DB in documents, they were storing them as raw JSON files in in blob storage, and then they were using Cosmos DB as the indexer which uh, not only increased the round trips and their request units, but also created a lot of um, uh, issues with their IOPS on their storage account because everything was running off one storage account. Like They right. didn't think about uh, partitioning, and they didn't think about scaling out their the data. So lots of bad designs there. And the, our biggest challenge, it was not the, the code. It was not the, the infrastructure. It was the culture within the team. Sure, mm. always. Yeah, so rather than focusing on fixing the things, they were focusing on releasing features. Yeah. On an unstable pl- platform because they promised that to their customers or to their marketing team or to the sales team, um, and rather than having a co- cohesive team or take the best from their team and put them into solving the problems, they would scatter the team around working on different features, and every time we turn up, there will be no one around to actually help us um, fix the problem. So it was bringing that cultural change into the team and help them out by improving the quality of the code through proper pull requests and using Git properly to do these things. And you know what? I, I turn up one day. It's a Friday afternoon and everyone is just rushing around. I'm like, what's happened? Oh, yeah. Somebody wiped out our CI CD. They deleted their Team City server um, <laughs> on their, Wow. they deleted the VMs. Somebody went in and deleted the VMs. Like things like that will happen. Somebody would push code into production halfway through the day without giving any visibility to anyone else and they will be rushing around creating Azure uh, support tickets to try to work out what happened when in in fact it was somebody in the team. So this was a major challenge for us to uh, not only instill best practices like VSTS or TeamCity, whatever tools you want to use, Mm. have that kind of end-to-end visibility in the process and also the quality gates that will allow you to not push bad code into production. Wow, that is a good one. Yes.
1: Well, and you think the CI CD process would have a CI CD deployment for it? Wait, is that inception? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, this would have CI CD deploying the CI CD. That would be yeah, cool. Yeah,
1: you should probably have a script that just rebuilds it.
2: Yeah, but then again, why have VMs when you can have that uh, as a software as a service, right? Yeah, somebody else demands that infrastructure for you. You focus on creating code and deploying it somewhere and yeah. having the security gates. Mm and uh, again, that was another challenge. Uh, also, as I mentioned that earlier on, it's all about logging and analytics, and App Insights has been an eye-opener for for these guys, uh, along with other customers, because it definitely helps out bring into surface things that they didn't even know that were happening. I had another customer that called me into for training, and they said we want to learn about App Insights and how we can use them. And I said, right, so w- first part of the day we'll talk about App Insights, we'll do the demos, and then. For the second part of the day, we can take one of your applications and deploy App Insights and see what's happening. Right, So you can see uh, what the problem is. Big, uh, big company again, lots of visibility, uh, lots of uh, people in the development team, but they had no access to tools like that. We deploy App Insights on the second part of the day, and the first thing we find out, they had a page that would take seven seconds to load. Nobody would dare touch that because they had no idea what it was. Within five minutes, App Insights goes, right, okay, you're missing an index on your database. This is the index that you need to create. Go and do it. So we deploy that index as in their dev database to see if that would fix the problem. We took the page down to 0.4 milliseconds to, to run that. So that's Ooh. an insane <laughs> amount of teeny bit um, faster. Yeah. Just a wee bit. <laughs> it's, uh, it's about having that visibility again. Uh, and it's not about logging. I mean, you can log with SeriLog and n log and log 4 net. And it's fine. People write all these things in the database or log files, but never look at them. Mm. They have no baseline. They don't know what their, their solution is doing. Right. So using something like App Insights, they can have all that surface for them without right. any effort. It's, it just works out of the box. Yep. It's great stuff.
0: And uh, it's it continues to be a success. And man, the, the stuff that we heard from uh, Scott Guthrie, heck, last month. Mm-hmm. And we were at NDC in London was just amazing. I love hearing these these stories because they reflect my own experience. So, uh, Christos, is there anything else that you want to talk about before
2: we wrap it up? Uh, no, I, th- I think uh, we are. You know, we're doing a, a really good job here. Um, we're really moving a lot of customers into uh, exciting technologies and using Azure to best of, to, of their capacity and um, we're seeing a lot of uh, exciting work. I mean, our schedules are back to back and yeah. um, I-, I love being in this space because I can see not only the problems, but the good things that our customers are doing. We're re- learning really fast and we take those experiences and help more customers out there. Yeah. So uh, it continues to be a very exciting role. If anybody wants to join us, feel free, we can conquer the world, guys. Absolutely. Christos Matskas, it's been great talking to you. You too. Thank you for having me again.
0: All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios Now go write some code. See you next time.
2: is